Hi, everybody. I highly recommend the When Dating Hurts podcast. I found the podcast after I left an abusive relationship, but it continuously helps me on my healing journey. The podcast always reminds me that these people are damaged, they're emotionally draining, and they're dangerous to be around. I appreciate everything Bill has done for people like me. It keeps me from ever even considering going back. Love should not hurt. You deserve respect more than anything in a relationship. Take your power back and live the life you want to live. You deserve it. The When Dating Hurts podcast continues to grow in popularity. The more who listen, the more who will know the realities of dating and domestic violence. In the meantime, the When Dating Hurts book in paperback, ebook, and audiobook is being purchased and read by concerned parents, teachers, victims and survivors, and of course, those who are currently dating. Education leads to empowerment. That way, if a potential abuser is targeting you or someone you care about, you will know how to detect it and how to break free and stay safe. Up next, another survivor story to illustrate how an innocent person can become manipulated and trapped in abusive relationships. It seems impossible to understand how violence can become part of the tapestry of anyone's life, but that best describes Sabrina's everyday life. Things get much worse before they improve. Once again, here is Sabrina. But, you know, this continues. I'm working like crazy. Violence is happening every other week. In between, we would quote-unquote break up where he would say, uh, I don't want to be with you. I can't do this, yada, yada, yada. And then we just wouldn't speak for days in the house. He would be in this house doing whatever he's doing. I'm working. I come home to cook and to sleep. And we just wouldn't speak for days. And then something would happen. We'd come back together. And then he would get mad about something and attack me. And then the cycle just went on and on. So what shook me out of that was one day I came home from working and he rushes me at the door, accusing me of cheating on him. Like, you weren't at work. You were out with some other guy. And I was so, again, shocked by this. And for whatever reason, something about this statement didn't sit well with me. I knew I wasn't cheating on him. I was just at work. Like that was such a tangible thing Mm -hmm. that he came at me about that it opened the door. Maybe if he's saying this, that isn't true, maybe everything else he's saying isn't true either. And that's when I started to realize what a terrible situation I was in. And I started doing research. I started listening to relationship podcasts. I like to listen to where people told their stories. And to me, being able to hear someone else's story and be like, wow, like you don't deserve that or what terrible treatment that is or being able to have compassion for another person gave me the ability to reflect on my own situation be like, wow, like I don't deserve this either. So I left out something very important. (laughs) I'm just realizing before we get to the, the happy stuff. At one point after a stretch of 
time where we hadn't been speaking, I went into his room and he was non-coherent. He could not speak to me. He was trying to speak, but he was like babbling. I was so concerned and I tried to get him into the car to take him to the hospital. And of course, this was a very drastic measure for me to choose to take because he was so into spirituality that the lowliness of medicine was something that he needed no part of. So, but I had decided in that moment, like, no, he is not well. He needs medical attention. So I called an ambulance. They take him to the hospital. They put him on a 72-hour mental hold and diagnose him with schizophrenia and bipolar. He told them that he was seeing things on the wall He had really deteriorated at this point to claiming to be God and that he was God. He controlled all things. He, I mean, he had this whole delusion happening in his head. So he got that diagnosis. We spent those days in the hospital, got back. Of course, he's saying like he snapped out of it somehow at this point and is saying this is just a crock of crap. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm not sick. I'm just God. Nobody understands. You know, when he's starting to claim to be God, I am too scared to say anything to him, but I hear. You don't want to break the bad news to him that he's probably not. Right, right. (laughs) Probably not. It would be quite a letdown. Yeah, absolutely. And I knew that letdown would be dangerous if it were me to be. You wouldn't want to be the messenger of that bad news. Right. But. The point about that is that I recognized that at this point I had been like, that's crazy. I mean, even me in this brainwashed state was able to recognize that's insane. Mm -hmm. So he got this diagnosis. Nothing happens. We're not in contact with anyone. There's no, no one asked about my safety. To me, he was clearly violent in the hospital. Like, obviously this girl with him is not safe, but There was no conversation about any of that. And I don't, I'm not placing responsibility. I'm just saying that in a perfect world, in these scenarios, we would be thinking about that. We'd be thinking about the danger to others. Who's going to be around this person who's uh, way out there mentally? Yes. Right. Um, And I didn't feel like there was much consideration into that. After that diagnosis and after him, Accusing me of cheating, that's when I start to slowly come back to myself. I decide that I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. I don't believe these things he's telling me. And I'm starting to not believe the things he's saying about my character. I started to give myself pep talks like, notice how you feel empathy for this person. Like, that's good, you know, or notice how you're a really hard worker. Like that's a positive trait. Like I had to consciously talk myself up about small things I could see that I was doing that was good to try to combat all of this noise I was hearing about what a terrible human being I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Worthless. Right. I start waking up a little bit. I decide that I need to tell somebody. I knew that if I, told somebody that there would be no going back because of the embarrassment, the shame and all these things that in this case served me. Uh, And I used as a tool to pull myself out. But I told one of the friends I had made at this restaurant 
she wasn't really equipped to help me. I don't think she knew how to respond. She was also very young and this isn't talked about enough for someone to just off the cuff know what to do in that scenario. So she didn't really do much, but she was there for me and I said it out loud, which was a huge deal. I had never done. And I had gotten really close with the owner of this restaurant. You know, I had mentioned to her that we were fighting or whatever. She knew him. He had briefly worked at this restaurant and she fired him because he got aggressive with another female coworker at work. And she fired him for that reason after, I don't know, a couple weeks of him working there. So she kind of had some experience with this guy and she flat out asked me, has he ever hit you? And she's looking me straight in the eye, like someone I have a relationship with. In that moment, I just broke to her. I told her everything. I told her oh, that boy. How about it that? was not safe. And I could get emotional thinking about her and the positive impact her friendship had on my life. She really took initiative to help me after that. So Jake had agreed to break up. This was the first time I had initiated the breakup of you know, the dozens of other breakups had been him saying, I'm not good enough for whatever reason. But this time I was saying I was done. And he decided he just wanted a one-way ticket to India and then he would be done. That's it. We would be broken. So I was obviously still very much in poverty at this point. I borrowed money from the restaurant owner to buy him this ticket because she was like, yeah, whatever it takes to get him out of your life, like, let's do it then he wouldn't book the ticket. He wouldn't leave my house, of course. So I'm just in this like weird limbo state of I'm trying to get him out. I know that I want to be done, but I don't know how to get him out of my house. I tried to do what he said and it didn't work. So, And then serendipitously, a couple of weeks later, my mom came into town for a work conference and she had called me and said, like, I want to take you to dinner. I'm already in town. You know, let's go out. And I had I've been keeping any kind of contact with them a secret from Jake at this point, doing it while I'm at work or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I don't tell him I'm going to do this, of course, but I go to dinner with my mom. And after dinner, I hadn't planned this at all, but I just, just spilled it to her. I just told her I wasn't safe. I told her all of the things, what danger I was in. Of course, she was like, we're not having this you're not going back, you know? And I was so, I was fighting her. I wanted to go back. I did, I thought I could handle it by myself. I didn't want that like ego hit of needing help to get out of it. That's why I didn't reach out to her. Mommy has to help you fix your life. Yeah. But she did. And I needed her at that point. Yes. Eventually I got to that point of realizing that. So she put me up in a hotel that night and I never went back. It was telling her that really made it happen. You know, I had been, I decided for a while, but I was trying to go about it in, in a wildly unsafe way in retrospect. I mean, I am incredibly lucky he didn't, you know, just off me in those times where I was trying to break up with him. I mean, Yes, you are very fortunate. Yeah, that's when it happens. Yeah. That's the most yeah. dangerous time. Yep. Especially in, you got a guy who has done all the things. Did he ever strangulate you in the midst of all this? He didn't. It's a miracle. You know, my mom asked me that too. She's like, did he ever do that? And I 
Uh, no, of course not. That had honestly never occurred to me. I was just so unfamiliar with violence and the feeling of getting beat up was something that I had never had. I And I was in such survival mode that I, I couldn't conceive of these other ways that he could hurt me, that he wasn't actually hurting me. I just wasn't capable of of holding that in my mind at the time. I say that because strangulation is considered to be one step away from actually getting killed. Yeah, absolutely. I really have heard that. Not necessarily that you're strangulated to death, which could be the case, but after that could be really anything to take you out at that point. Absolutely. I am grateful every day that I am still alive and that it didn't escalate to any of that, you know, it easily, easily I could have been killed by some of the head traumas that sure. happened. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank God that that didn't happen. Right. After I leave and tell my mom, then my mom reaches out to his mom because I knew that we had to get in contact with his family to get him out of my house, but I didn't want to do it. You know, I was, I was scared. I was basically disabled from much at this point because he was super aggressive before I blocked him. Once he realized I had left, he was threatening to kill me, saying that he's going to damn me to hell and all this crazy stuff that fed into his delusion, but also real threats of violence. It was a really scary time. I was still under his kind of brainwashing where And this is something that I had heard. I wish I could remember who it was, but I heard someone else on your podcast mention that they felt like their abuser knew things they couldn't possibly know, that they could just sense it. Yes, I remember that. It's like a a self-protection mechanism, you know, that keeps yourself in check. I was so deep into that at this point when I left. I believed that he could sense where I was He could sense if I spoke to the wrong people or any of these things. So I was trying to work my way out of that. But it was really scary when I still believed that, but still trying to be brave enough to leave. So I did. My mom reached out to his. His family came and got him put into another 72-hour hold at the hospital. And during this time, I went back to my house, got my belongings, it was a rented house. I went and spoke with the the owners and they graciously let me break my lease after I explained the situation to them. They were very kind people, very supportive of me. I was so anxious about that. That was something that kept me longer than I should have was all of my responsibilities and not wanting to be a bad tenant or, but got out of that and then went back to the farm for about a week. In this week, I was so anxious that he could sense where I was. He knew where I was and he was going to come to the farm and hurt me and my family. So I decided I need to get as far away as I possibly could. I moved literally as far away as I could to the other side of the country. It was a very big move to, again, moving to where I knew no one and didn't have anything. No trace. No trace. So... I just packed up my car and drove across the country and started a new life. I maintain my relationships, though, with my family, speaking to them every day, just trying to heal and work through the things that 
had plagued us for so many years. How did they feel? Were they forgiving for what had happened? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They were forgiving right out of the gate. I'm glad. They have their own kind of guilt about the situation and especially my mom taking responsibility for what she thinks she should have done. In my experience, there was no getting me out of this. There was no anyone else coming in to rescue. It was a decision I made to stay and to be in that situation. One that I made under duress, of course, and you know, I don't blame that past version of me, but I do take responsibility enough to note that no one else was going to be able to do anything to move me from this situation. What I think could be done, though, is education. If I had known in the beginning some of these tactics he was using, if I had the knowledge that this is probably statistically probably leading up to violence, I probably could have checked myself before I was in so deep. But once you're degraded to this point, it's like (sighs) there's no words that are going to get you out of it. It took uh, that moment of clarity where he accused me of something I knew for a fact didn't happen that I was able to cling on to a little piece of reality and pull myself up. Yeah, my relationships with my family are back to where they should have been the whole time. Thank God. I I think that this whole situation makes me a lot more of a present and patient and aware of what I have kind of person. I feel grateful that I can just go to the grocery store and buy what I want to buy. I feel grateful that I don't have to worry about violence or physical pain, that emotionally my life is a safe place now. I I thank God for that every single day of my life. And that is the kind of gratitude that I would have never had without knowing the opposite. As much as it was painful and as much as I mourn for those years and what they could have been, I also think that just like, you know, you losing your daughter and the benefits that have come from that, I feel that these challenges are really helping me to grow as a human being and to do what I can for myself and my existence and for society and a big way of doing that is is speaking my story. I This is the first time I have ever said it all out loud to anyone. And it was very challenging. And I, I feel very shaky still saying it. But I think that part of my healing is is facing it and speaking it. And it makes it so much easier to do that if I think that someone else could benefit from it. And so I... I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to be able to share and for the work you do. It's been very impactful in me and my healing journey. So, so thank you. You did a brilliant job of walking us through every last part of this. And I think your summation, I'm not going to try to top your summation here. I agree with you that taking the worst part of your life and looking at it for what it is, accepting what it is, forgiving yourself for how you got there, because it's totally understandable to so candidly tell your story, which hearing it all, I think just about anybody can relate to it Mm -hmm. because it happens little by little. What is often said is 
the way you're treated the 30th time you're around that person, if that's the way you were treated the first time, you would never stay around. You would just say, whoa, what is this? That's what people struggle with. Yeah. I think that haven't been in an abusive relationship is your mind goes straight to the the height of the drama. And it's just, it's such a slow buildup yes. that you don't notice it's happening. And it's the slow buildup and, and degradation of your, your self-worth and your self-image that it's just so slow and gradual that it, it's hardly noticeable until you're at a point where it, it doesn't matter. You're not going to stand up for yourself. And the way you told it shows how slowly it happens, how you kind of follow the breadcrumbs, so to speak, you keep going down that path. It shows that not knowing warning signs, not having them presented to you or having given you the chance to hear them and say, oh, how about that? They all add up to power and control. I used to be in control of my own life. And then I didn't, I kind of gave some of that over, but I thought that was part of the relationship is we're kind of sharing decisions. And then little by little, the whole thing's tilting now the whole other way where 99.9% of the decisions are on that other person. Yeah. They get to do just about anything. I mean, to the point of it becoming objectively ridiculous, just ridiculous to hear those. And so much of this is to present the world with people who are regular people. I mean, just normal people just going about their lives who meet someone. The person they meet up with is a predator somebody that's probably practiced this a few times and is getting really good at being bad, and they just know how to bring you in. Eventually, you get trapped. And once you're trapped, it takes a while to get trapped, and therefore, it takes a while to get out of that, and it took you a while to get out of that. To take your pain and turn it into something that's very useful, I want you to get credit for that too. It's not easy, and you prepared yourself very well. You had all your notes lined up. I could sit here and listen to you like everyone else has the opportunity to sit and listen to you. I'm very fortunate because a lot of people who come on are survivors. So although things are getting worse and worse, I know it, the story is going to turn at some point and you're going to come out of it and you're in a happier, better place. And I'm so glad your relationship with your family is back on its feet again. Too. And the question will always be, what will we do with our lives today and what will we do with our lives tomorrow? And a lot of it is learned from the past, but don't spend all your time going through it and beating yourself up about the past. So many who get caught in these relationships want to go back and beat themselves up now. The other person's out of the picture, but they go and relive things. And how could I let that happen? And by reliving it, you're just bringing it back to life. You know, you don't want to do that. I think that's true. If I could interject. Please. Yes. I do think that after I left, I have been kind of repressing the whole situation and that hasn't been serving me either. I've just been not speaking about it, dealing with all of the repercussions internally and just trying to live my other life and pretend like this didn't happen. But coming to this podcast has been the catalyst for me to look at it all, actually go there. I think that that has been super beneficial in you keep things in your head, you kind of build it up and then you say it out loud and it's like, oh, this was horrible, but like, it's not as big of a deal as it was in my head. So I do think that going there, looking at it does have a purpose. And now I think with lots of other work, I'll have the ability to stop living there in my head, which is a really important part of the survivor part. One of the things that's really important is that 
you got to that place because someone took you to that place. You didn't take you to that place. You were drawn to that place. And I think that's really important. I do too. The guilt trips that you could put on yourself, I would just ask you to consider stopping that. Appreciate that. It happened to you. It happened to you. You're an innocent bystander and you were selected. And you're a really, I know how wonderful this sounds, but anyhow, you're a really nice person and a very patient person. And you were the perfect target for somebody who was looking for someone just like you. And I can guarantee you that if the focus is off of you, the focus went to someone else. And that's the part that makes me feel bad too. I can talk with people. Maybe they leave the auditorium or maybe they leave this podcast and they say, wow, now I heard some things and I know I need to get that person out of my life safely, you know, escape plan, safety plan. You know, you have to do it wisely and get help from a domestic violence agency or someone who knows what they're doing. The sad part is you step out of the way of the landslide and it comes down now on somebody else. So the best we can do, I feel, is by putting this out there, we're trying to get everybody in on the fact that this can happen, does happen, it can happen to anybody. The more of us that know about it, maybe the fewer of us actually have it happen to us. Absolutely. Some kind of systems legally around this would be fascinating to entertain. I don't, you know, I don't have answers, but in my mind, something like child predator gets marked so that everyone knows when they get charged with that. That's right. You know, yes. If there could be some kind of system where, where people could learn about the person they're choosing to engage in a relationship with, that would be really helpful. And again, I'm not sure how to go about that. In particular, in my situation where I called the police to try to help me get my things and they refused to help me if I didn't have proof. And at that point, I had healed all of my wounds and didn't have proof, and they said they wouldn't help. And I knew with his delusion that a restraining order would have been a terrible idea, that that would have just infuriated him and put my life at risk. Yes, I would have done that. So I appreciate that opportunity that that might help some people with the restraining order, but in a lot of cases, I don't really know how to prevent this from happening to someone else in my situation. That's something else I, I struggle with is... What's this guy doing now? You know. Oh, you know what he's doing. I do. It. It's sickening. He's either working on another target or looking for another target one way or another. It doesn't stop. These people have that thing. Yeah. I've asked about what percentage of people who do this actually turn their lives around. And there really doesn't seem to be an answer out there. But if there were an answer, it would be in the single digits and it would be in the low single digits. The best you can do is not let it get you. Yeah, and and be aware of the signs. Sure. Yeah, and believe that can happen. It can happen to anybody. You have to believe it. And I should just mention, I've said this before in a couple of these episodes, is that if a listener's thinking, well, I hear this story and I feel sorry for the people in the story, but it doesn't happen around here. Nobody's beating on anybody's wife or vice versa. And it's not that kind of neighborhood. It's not some violent neighborhood. And so it doesn't happen around here. So it's great that you're going out and preaching about warning signs and things that can happen and call this domestic violence agency and call this hotline. It doesn't happen around here. So what happens is then they turn their minds off. So they don't know anything about the warning signs. Because why? Because it doesn't apply to them. It doesn't apply to them. It doesn't apply to their family, their kids, 
their coworkers, their neighbors. So they just shut it down. They just turn the switch off. So they don't want to hear it. They stick their fingers in their ears and hum. That's what I thought. Yeah. And it's like, Bill, I'm really sorry about your daughter. And this young woman who was on your show today, gee whiz, that sounds horrible. And two minutes from now, they're off to something else. They're heading for the grocery store or they're stopping to buy gas. And it's over because it doesn't apply to you. And you and I know it. Yes, it does. The hard way. Sabrina, thank you for coming on and being so candid. And you had everything pulled together chronologically in a beautiful way. And I think that we can all learn from your experience. And I have to say, very happy for you. I'm glad that you've you've got away from uh, from God, in quotes. <laughs> now you can yes. focus on the real one and you yes. can focus on your life in a happier spot and make a life for yourself and be happy. You are much at peace, is what I guess I'm trying to say. So Thank you. I am. I, I wish I could show that girl in the dark of, of all that darkness just a little look into her future. Because, yeah, I definitely I'm in a good place now. Good. One of the things you pointed out was you did not collect evidence as it was coming. The bruises or the broken things. I'm sure if you're wrestling and rolling around on the floor, something eventually gets smashed, I would think. Oh, yeah. Some of the rough housing that went on with you. For people, it's a good idea to capture that somehow, to put it away somehow that the other person will not see it, to write down when it happened. That will stand up in a court of law. There's some people go in to get a protection order and they don't get it. They don't get the protection order because that judge wants something from you. You know, they want, it's like, oh, okay, well, I don't know. That's just sort of like he said, she said, you know, it doesn't sound like it's much of anything. Collecting that, stamping it. I've heard of an app. I don't know if it was on your podcast or somewhere else where you can send off the information, the pictures or the notes for safekeeping. Yes, that's a good point. It's called Victim's yes. Voice. Okay, yeah. Victim's Voice. I believe the app, gee, I hope I get this right. I believe the app is just all one word. It's all strung together. But Victim's Voice, one way or another, yes, it's a really good idea. And it will stand up in a court of law. A lot of these things won't. You can't just think since you've taken the pictures that it's all going to work out in your favor. You have to get educated about it. And this, again, do yourself a big favor. Don't get, don't get caught in one of these relationships. If it starts to feel bad, it is bad. Bail out. Just get out. There are plenty of other people around. Do yourself a huge favor. Absolutely. I think that one thing that survivors and, and those willing to speak about it can do is work to be a little more vulnerable in our daily lives and conversations with others so that this can become a normal conversation to have within families, within schools, within communities where you know survivors aren't scared to speak about their experiences. Therefore, other people can learn that it's a real possibility. And it just opens the door to be able to speak of the warning signs and hopefully be able to prevent someone from getting into these situations. Yeah, I agree with that. In sharing, you will never know, I will never know, how many people's lives will be improved and in some cases saved. I've had a lot of people say, wow, you've saved a lot of lives. I don't know any of that to be true. There's no way to prove any of that. I hope that's the case. But take what you've learned and share it and don't look up at the scoreboard because if you do, you won't see anything on it anyway. You just do what you do what you feel like you need to do with this information. But do something. Don't keep it to yourself. Absolutely. Sabrina, thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. Today, Sabrina is a dating and domestic violence survivor. 
She is quite fortunate to be alive. Please share this story with those who need to believe what can and does happen when we are uninformed about the trickery, the manipulation, and the power and control that comes from a determined predator. Thank you for listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast. We have been steadily moving up in podcast review rankings based on downloads in the relationships category. That means more and more listeners are getting the kind of advice that can improve lives for victims, survivors, and their families. If you feel we need to hear your story, do not hesitate to email me at Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. That's Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com.